and it's our absolutely our aim for them to always get paid. Like it's the mission of the company to to help artists create a billion dollars, and I think we can get there within a few years. Today on the podcast, we have Rory Felton, and if you're into music, crypto, NFTs, or just this constant yearning for what's next, you're going to want to give this podcast a listen. He's got a lot of really great things to say, and his story and his journey is very unique and super interesting. So listen in. Well, like I uh, have been starting all of my podcasts, I like to say how I know you, Rory Felton. Thanks for coming. A client of ours, Jed and mine. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being here, Jed. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Who was determined to purchase a killer mid-century home and actually was successful at securing one. Sold back in 2020. And wouldn't you agree, Jed, it's probably one of the I don't know, top 10 for of sure. that year? Probably. I was scoping it for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot of work. It has been a lot of work. <laughs> it's been a lot of work. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> another way that I know you, is a guy who's not had very good luck with contractors. I mean, who has? Has anyone <laughs> in Boise had good luck with contractors? You, you've, had, you've had quite a story there. Yeah, we've had some. Perfecting that place. We've had some uh, ex-convicts, current convicts. People on the run from the law, <laughs> addicts. That's not every contractor. No, it's not. But but you've definitely there found are those. contractors. Yes, yeah. agreed. Yeah. Also, a family guy who takes great care of his wife and kids. Mm, thank who you. I know you to be, and someone who's eating up all that Boise has to offer. <clears throat> Very I actually true. really love vicariously living through people who are new to Boise because yeah. it's, it's fun to see how you yeah, experience it being here. Yeah. And you guys are chasing it pretty aggressively. Oh, uh, we love it. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. I love just the drive from the bench into downtown every day. Yeah. With the snow covered hill, foothills. Yeah. So cool. It's and then like, your green belt users and yeah, forest chasers got and our bikes got our e-bikes. We love our hot springs. Um, we love nature. We love McCall. I mentioned that to someone. It was appreciating what we have because we overlook it being yeah. here. It's like just watch your feet, and it's like, oh yeah, we take this stuff for granted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're showing us all the hit list. Totally. Yeah, yeah we love it. We love it here. Uh, I think that you are someone excited about the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very optimistic. And um, not easily deterred. And you know how to muster up great patience while still being very persistent. Hmm. That sounds, that's really nice of you. Thank yeah. you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the process of working with you and helping you find a cool mid-century home and then watching you kind of trudge through that journey. Mm. And even in talking with a lot of the things that you've had to deal with in that, um, you know, you've had moments of, should I just give up? <laughs> yeah, definitely. There definitely were like a couple 1 a.m. nights yeah. having the emergency plumber come out. Right. And trudge, you know, raw sewage out of our newly renovated master bathroom. And you're like, oh, okay, so this still can happen right. after this far in. Yeah. But it's been good, man. It's been been awesome i feel like we're you know what i'm most excited for next year getting into the outdoor part of our house yeah and fixing up the the backyard and side yards and right adding some trees and just making it just our like epic outdoor yeah um lifestyle this is how i know you but what happens if i asked your friends who's rory what would they say oh uh, they'd say rory's an entrepreneur that's always working on some cool new idea that is really hard to understand <laughs> like crypto crypto yeah <laughs> that sounded like a summary of it yeah yeah or like yeah i think that's how they would describe me some people know me as like deep into music and with deep relationships and like hip-hop yeah other people know me as an entrepreneur um, other people just know me as that kid that ran like a punk label you know i've also you know i had i headed marketing for one of the larger music festival companies in america and that job didn't last very long. Um, so some people know me as like someone that failed as a head of marketing for a large music festival. Gotcha. Company. Yeah. Was that because you were working for someone else? Do you think? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So Mark Cuban said that the traits that make him a great entrepreneur made him a horrible employee. <laughs> and that's applied hundred percent in my life. I mean, when I first had 
my first kid about five years ago, I thought, you know, I should look at getting a corporate gig now. I, I don't know why I thought that. I just thought like I needed more stability, get healthcare paid for by the company and all that. And tried for a long time to get a corporate gig. And when I got it, it just didn't last very long. And I think I just don't have patience for dealing with like the bureaucracy or like the, the necessary um, relationship management of like all the people you yeah. work with just for the sake of their egos right. rather than just doing good work. And all I want to do is do work and show results. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to rub some people yeah. the wrong way. I want to get into that part of your story in a minute, but before we do, tell me, how long have you been in Boise and how did you get here? We moved to Boise in January of t this year, so almost almost a year ago. My in-laws moved up to Star, which is, if anyone knows, about a half hour outside of Boise, oh gosh, two and a half years ago. And we thought, you know, this is from Southern California, and we thought they were crazy. Why are you moving to Idaho? Not only are you not moving to Boise, you move into a small town outside of a small town. It just seemed really strange and random. Um, and it felt sort of escapist at the time. And we came up and visited. And we're like, oh, this will be fun to come visit and have the in-laws here. Um, and then lockdown continued in Southern California. We don't really need to talk about that a lot. But I'll just say lockdown in L.A. County is really different than anywhere else. And Well, next to New York, it's different than everywhere else in, in the country. Um, so experiencing that and just like uh, some of the policies that led to like uh, economic disparity in California, it's just really can be heartbreaking to look at and see every day with homeless people all over. Our, you know, you spend $800,000 on a home and you've got homeless people sitting in your front porch. It's just it's a little frustrating with young kids. So a variety of Issues combined with our desire to be in nature and be outside and just slow down a little bit, if mm -hmm. you will, or just change our lifestyle a little bit rather than spend three hours a day in the car, all sort of motivated us to look at living somewhere else. And so we thought about Salt Lake City, we thought about Austin, thought about Nashville, we even thought about Florida. And obviously it's nice to have family close by. And we were looking at Boise at the same time that my wife's, um, Kesley's aunt and uncle were looking at Boise. Her grandma was looking at Boise. And it just seemed to make sense for all those reasons. It's two hours from LA. I can get back there anytime. Mm -hmm. I need to, I could be back there tonight or more if I needed to for a meeting. And just the access to nature, to places like Stanley really convinced us like, oh, we could, we could see ourselves here yeah. for a long time. Yeah. That's cool. So and a year in, you're regretting it, right? I don't regret it. What's interesting is like other people ask us that question and Kesley's always like the way you answer it always tells me that you were, you're still not sure about Boise. And I was like, well, that's not the impression I want to give. It's just that I want to be thoughtful with the reality of it yeah. all because I am a big city hustle guy. Love New York city, love the hustle, love running to meetings, making stuff happen, doing deals. And it took me a moment, but that does exist in Boise, you know? Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to share, I'll just share it. Yeah, I'm part of this group called Founders and Fire Pits, started by another transplant here to Boise from New York. And it's just amazing to meet a bunch of top-level founders that are doing amazing work, that have either had exits and done well, or um, top-level executives at existing companies that are relocating to Boise to work remotely. It is, it's definitely not getting as many people relocating here as Florida or Austin, mm -hmm. or Nashville or Denver, but or even Salt Lake City. And it's still under the radar in a good way, but there's some really amazing and talented people coming here. And I'm really excited for the next few years in Boise. I think yeah. you can see some amazing things happen. I just saw a company tackle, just raised a hundred million dollar round, unicorn company. I think they're based here or they have an office here. So from a startup, you know, investment perspective, it's cool to see like more yeah. stuff happening here. For sure. Yeah. So full business rewind for you. How long ago did you start your first business? Or businesses, it sounds like, if we're talking from then till now. I started my first business, uh, an independent record company, when I was 16. I was playing in punk bands. I was booking local shows. Uh, bands would come through on tour, like regional acts, and stay in my, in my basement because my parents were really nice. And the next evolution of that was just putting out records. And so saving up, I had money saved up from working fast food for several years and just started putting out records for my friends' bands. And one of them was called The Juliana Theory, and they went on the Sony Records, Sony Music, and did all right. 
<clears throat> and that sort of told me like, oh, maybe I have a, a gist for being a record company, you know, and we didn't know what we were doing. We were trying to figure out how to manufacture CDs with a company and do the artwork and find distributors. And it was just a crazy world back then during the internet day, early, early internet days. So what year was this? That was 1998. Okay. Yeah. My parents said I had to go to college. So I applied to two schools that had music business programs, USC and NYU, got into both and decided to go to LA because I just like the idea of Southern California punk rock and the sunshine. And as a, my first semester as a freshman at USC, I was bored with school and thought I'm going to start a record company. Whereas I felt like the company I did in high school is like a hobby label, mm -hmm. whereas I wanted to start an actual record company. So I put together a business plan. I pitched my parents on it. Uh, they co-signed on a bank loan with me. I signed five acts with like really not well uh, written recording contracts based on one class I had in college <laughs> at the time. And somehow Condor convinced a distributor to pick me up, which was a huge win. And our first record by this band called Rufio ended up selling hundreds of thousands of copies. After two years of college, it kind of made sense for me to leave school to do that company full time. That was called the Militia Group. It was a punk label, punk indie emo label. And Sony ended up taking an investment in my company, took a piece of my company, and I ran that business for 10 to 12 years. Um, and Sony later acquired the major recordings from me, the major assets of that business. Um, and I still kept a chunk of the catalog of copyrights, which I still own to this day. And that was really the first business I ran I did, you know. Um, after that, I took a step back from entrepreneurship for a hot minute and joined an early stage startup, which is kind of like being an entrepreneur because the risk is all there. But I wanted to be a part of a bigger team doing something in technology. And I felt like coming from the record business, I needed to be a part of a tech team rather than just be the founder of a tech company. Yeah. But I got really passionate about technology for music. And there we were the first company to do like what they called in-stream commerce on social media. So you could reply to a tweet or comment on a post to buy something in real time, like money would leave your credit card when you wrote that. And I worked with artists like Gaga and Snoop Dogg and Tim McGraw and Green Day and Jason Aldean and Keith Richards and all the major labels and doing what we call commerce campaigns for either music or merchandise directly on social media. Um, did that for a few years. Uh, my wife and I had our midlife crisis and we moved to Haiti for two years to build clean water projects, clean water systems. I didn't know that. Wow, yeah, we lived cool. in the jungles of Jeremy, IT. Um, what year was that? 2015, okay. 16, 2014, 15, 16, something like that. And yeah, we built um, businesses that basically ran clean water systems in rural parts of Haiti. So we'd serve clean water into uh, populations that didn't have access to clean water because waterborne illnesses in that country was a problem. So yeah. that was really fun to do and kind of speaks to my chameleon nature. I feel like I can fit in like in a lot of places. <laughs> like a, I could probably be a finance guy on Wall Street, but I could also live in the jungle and eat yeah. rice and beans every day and never shower or whatnot without electricity or running water. Were you burnt on the music industry? Is that part of the push? You, know, you jumped over like yeah, it's fascinating. Years real quick. Yeah, I yeah, like. real quick. <laughs> I, I was I was a little bit burnt out on being an entrepreneur in the record business. We were we were riding high off of the download model, and there was this gap between downloads not working as a business model and streaming not evolved yet. We didn't have Spotify and and Apple Music and all that, so. There was a good five to six year lull in music industry that really decimated a lot of small companies. Mm -hmm. And our business model didn't work but almost overnight in like 2006 or seven, no, probably 2007, eight. And I was a little bit too like exhausted to try and fight it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And because of our deal structure with Sony Music, it just didn't make a lot of sense to, you know, put a lot of blood, sweat and tears trying to like revive that if that makes sense it made, it made much more sense to start over but the deal with them wasn't like abandoned to keep things going no we did the deal with them very early on early, okay. yeah very early. they gave us the financing to like sign a bunch of artists and have some gold records and so we sold millions of records and today's number is billions of streams um we had a great time we did really well i was really happy with it we were really close to signing some massive massive artists that um just didn't work out everyone in the record business has that story but we had a great time and it was an incredible learning experience. Um, but yeah, I was definitely burnt out on working with artists for a moment because it's, 
you know, my logical brain trying to apply logics to the music industry just doesn't apply. <laughs> it, it functions like its own thing yeah. entirely where mer meritocracy means nothing. Previous success means nothing. You know, you can invest three, four years in trying to break an artist and get to like, you know, halfway there. And then they just want to change their sound on you and do something entirely different. You just can't control that, you know? Um, so yeah, it got exhausting for a few different reasons, but. So you went to Haiti. <laughs> went to Haiti. Um, we got pregnant, so we came back to the States. And that's when I started looking for like a corporate gig. Did did try my hand on another startup called Air Mule. Um, Co-founded a startup where we uh, paid people to ship um, items in their luggage for other people. Pretty crazy idea, trying to help people travel the world for free. That's still a, a dream I had. And my friend is still running that, but I'm not involved as an operator anymore. And dabbled in investments with artists and early stage technology, being an advisor for technology for music. And then spent the last few years um, just advising artists, managing artists, investing in their careers, um, doing just kind of what what I would be doing as a hobby. I just started making a living out of it again for fun. And in 2018, I co-wrote this white paper on digital collectibles for artists. Um, I bought Bitcoin and Ethereum in 2014, 2013. And so was pretty familiar with crypto and the space. And I had this vision of fans collecting digital collectibles from their favorite artists and spent six, nine months pitching it to VC, to labels, to artists, and just getting a lot of blank stares and glassy eyed looks and like, just thought I was kind of crazy. Too early to market. A little too early. And the last two years have really validated the thesis, yeah. you know, at least in the form of the NFT protocol, um, where uh, fans, I think in this year, I think I read $20 billion in transactions have happened uh, for NFTs. Um, so that, and mostly for artwork, right? Visual artwork, either right. uh, GIFs or motion graphics or still images. And what's cool, that seems to be like the most successful projects provide a lot of utility to their owners. So, you know, if you were to, if you own a board ape, you get into like clubs, you get into these parties they throw, you're part of this almost like a young social status country club of a way, you know? Uh, I think that's really cool. But watching all that, I realized, you know, my passion's music. And I was like, oh, this is working. Like someone needs to build this for music. So about a year and a half ago, I connected with a, my partner, Jeff Birmingham, who's a really successful entrepreneur and investor out of Provo, Utah, early investor in Spotify's been a part of 10 unicorns and he and I co-founded hit piece, um, to be the place for music NFTs online. And over the last year and a half, oh, yeah, about that, we've, we've built this beta that's now live, which is an experience where you can go on and collect what's called a one of one edition NFT. So it's the only one that'll exist for every song in the world. So we built this on top of Spotify's API. If you, um, you can go to hit piece, you search for an artist, Right now, there's one NFT available from every artist. When that's one at auction, another one becomes available. And you start to um, collect your favorite songs and you build your hit list, right? Um, and the idea is you get to show off to your friends or people around the world, like you own the, the greatest hit list you can create of like all your favorite songs. Artists get royalties from not only the initial auction, but also every time it's traded. So it becomes a perpetual revenue stream for uh, for artists and rights holders, which is really cool. Yeah. And then what we're building right now, we just went out and raised a seed round of $5 million. And when's this going to run? Probably within the next three to four weeks. Okay. I don't know if we're, the only reason I mentioned that is like we gave Forbes the, the exclusive on that news. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll give, get the timing, right? Give us Whatever a few, you say, give, we'll get and that. I think that's like, that's coming out like gen five or gen 10. So yeah. I think we're okay. Yeah, just yeah. that way. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've raised around a capital and we're just running them out a minute right now. Um, recruiting, building up our team, um, doing our spotlights. And it's just really exciting to sort of create the future. What I'm really excited about is the utility that artists connect to these NFTs, if you will. So, you know, if you, you're an artist with a hundred songs, so you'd have a hundred NFTs in the hit piece experience, right? And so let's say a hundred different fans collect those, they become your members. Yeah. So you can reward them with like, they get to go backstage to your concerts, they right. get to get free tickets. We can airdrop them exclusive content like recordings. 
you could give them all a FaceTime experience. There's anything an artist dreams up that can reward and engage these right. NFT owners. And what's great for fans is you now, you buy the NFT so you own it, you can hold it, you can sell it if you want in the future. Um, I think about all the different people, the different ways people will experience this product. Like if you're like me and you're 16 year old Rory, you're probably gonna buy a bunch of NFTs from like dozens and dozens of independent, like low level artists. Yep. and hold on to them. It's sports card. The idea collecting. that they just get yeah. really big totally. early on. It's like having Mickey Mantle right. rookie card, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but a one of one. Yeah, Mickey one of Mantle. one, which makes it really rare. I mean, there's all sorts of things we could do. We could fractionalize them in the future so that people could sell off, you know, a number of the fractions of that original NFT. Yeah. We can tokenize artist royalties so that um, fans could actually participate in royalties generated from a song. Um, there's all sorts of things that are coming with NFTs that you know, it's hard for maybe like the general public to understand, but I just encourage everyone like, hey, like Hit Pieces made it really simple to go in and just buy your first NFT with a credit card. You can go there, just search for your favorite artist, find an NFT of a song you really like and make a bid in an auction. You can purchase it with a credit card or debit card. You don't have to own crypto. Um, and just like that, you could be, you could own your very first yeah. NFT. Um, we've really tried to simplify it for your general like music consumer rather than like the core like nft early adopter audience that already exists right and what level of artists like popularity wise do these go through we've got everyone um okay. because we built this on top of spotify's api um it is the full gamut you know um, and that typically begs the question about rights and rights in music is a really complicated issue um people probably aren't aware but spotify just as an example has been involved in dozens and dozens of rights um, disagreements with rights holders, be it on not only songwriting, but also the master rights and even also artwork rights. Now there's a huge disagreement with the comedian population around what rights do comedians get for writing a joke? Cause I don't think that actually exists in copyright law yet. So it's, there's a lot of nuances out there. The way our smart contracts are written is like the money is always accredited to the rights holders account. And it's our absolutely our aim for them to always get paid. Like it's the mission of the company to to help artists create a billion dollars. And I think we can get there within a few years. It's amazing. A world that I don't know very much about. <laughs> so <laughs> and, and this is actually what I love about who we get to interact with as clients is like yeah. they're creatives all over the gamut. That in like every nook and cranny of the creative world. Yeah. And so then we run across you as a client and like Pandora's box just opened, you know, <laughs> it's, it's forward thinking, but it's stuff that goes like way back. It's like these, yeah, dude, it's equivalent connecting with people. It's, it's like, it's just another way to do it, but it's, it's, what's really cool is you're giving the fan ownership in it because they get to own it. So it gives them like a, you're inviting them into this economic model in a way that hasn't been done before. Like right. we, I thought about this back in 2011, like how do you invite fans into the economic model of music to like in a, you know, ethereal way, decentralize what a record label is or what a marketing team is, right? Instead of, uh, I'm an artist to, to be, to get distribution back in the day, I needed to sign to a record company. Thus I'm giving up 85% of my recording revenue. Mm -hmm. I get an advance, maybe a hundred grand, maybe 200 grand. Sometimes that's it for my whole career. Right? So nowadays you can raise that amount of money through selling NFTs to fans and give those fans participation in some way. So you, as an artist, you can actually make lucratively. I think you can do a lot better, or at least finance the early stage of your career way better than it's just, there's more opportunities now for artists than there ever have right. been. So why not take advantage of yeah. them? You know? Are they still tied to when one of their songs gets resold that somehow? Yeah. They get? Cause yeah, that so built would be the big thing instead of like, I'm out, here's the song. It's yours. They want it. That's what's so cool is like uh, an artist gets a royalty every time it's resold. Yeah. That's so amazing. Gary V, you know, this famous, I don't know what to call him, spokesperson online for the future of technology. He created his own NFT project and he said publicly, like, I made $240,000 last night because people were just trading my NFTs and he gets a royalty every single time it's traded. Jeez. It's just a whole new economic model be, that just takes some insight and some thought to think about its application. And doesn't cut the artist out. Which no, the artist it should lead the artist. The artist should be getting the majority of it, the chunk of it, right? right. And, and what's so cool is like the utility that you can tie to NFTs now. Like you can mint, like I had a conversation with an artist the other day, he wants to mint an album as an NFT, only sell 1,000 versions of it, 
each one comes with a download. But if anyone else wants it, they have to buy it on the open market from someone who already bought it initially. Right. And the price could go way up. Who knows? But that's how they can get a download. They yeah. have to buy an NFT of somebody else to be able to get the download. We've even had other conversations around creating NFTs that, you know, of the song itself that might degrade in quality over time, similar to like a 78 record. And the idea is like, oh, if you listen to it one too many times, like the quality will never get as good as it was originally. So, so things you like- just put it on for the best party. You're like, this is a yeah, party, we're playing totally, it, and then totally. you send it to the next city. It's and like a film. It's, it's what art, like my goal and dream is just to create all the tools and then give them to the artists to do with what they want. And they're gonna come up with amazing and cool ways to, to deliver new experiences to fans and create new ways yeah. that, that fans will get funded. I mean, I think we're gonna see, we're gonna see a project in the next year my hunch is from a major, major artist who's going to launch an NFT project that's going to have a market cap over a billion dollars. Something for young musicians to look forward to. Because I feel like they're like, everyone tells me there's no money in music. Why would I spend my time doing this? Or money's only in touring, but how many bands make? Like, it gives a little new hope that the music industry isn't like just killing artists. Yeah, it's like that struggling artist or struggling musician just trying to get their feet off the ground. It just gives them a different way to monetize what they're doing. Yeah, there's 8 million artists on Spotify. I think only 5% make $50,000 a year or more. Yeah. So 5% of musicians make a career at it if they live you know, somewhere in a affordable place in America to live, <laughs> right? or overseas somewhere, right? Right. If we can increase that percentage to 10%, I mean, that's another 400,000 artists. I mean, that's an amazing goal yeah. to achieve, right? Or right. 20%. Um, and if you get in early on a young artist you like, it's such yes. an investment yes. and you support them. You're riding their wave. Exactly. Yeah, you're creating yeah. a collectible that could right. increase in value. It's buying their t-shirt first, in a first 100%. time out on the road. Way. It's buying yeah, their first totally. record. It's buying this trading card. So yeah. Hippies 1.0, what we've launched right now, is like it's like trading cards for songs. Totally. And you're just building your favorite song hit yeah. list. It's really exciting. We're having, we're doing deals with tons of big, big artists. We can't mention just yet, big, big companies. Um, and I'm just really excited for the future of the space. It's, you're going to see a lot of really, really crazy and cool innovation. And like your friends said, this won't be the last idea that you're trying to create or execute on. Ooh, maybe <laughs> you, you really maybe. think so? Well, you won't stop. You we can't think, stop. We think this is one like, Think about the evolution of like music consumption, right? It started with live performance only, yeah, and then sheet music, someone else playing someone else's sheet music, to records, to this is a condensed version, to cassette tapes, to CDs, to downloads, to streaming. What's next? Streaming's yeah. ubiquitous. Like we we haven't had a generation grow up where every song in the universe is at their fingertips, right? We have that now, and what we're seeing with Gen Z is they're actually not adopting streaming. Like Daniel Elk, the CEO of Spotify, talked about this publicly. Like they're having a young person problem. We don't know how young people are going to think about music when everything in the world is at their fingertips. They they don't know another world. Like like for me, it was you know going to Best Buy or the mall as a preteen or a teenager trying to find a CD on right. release day, right? Yep. They never had those problems or nuances or experiences. So it's, I think it's something like the NFT innovation that, that gives them something more, more like the vinyl experience that's a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more connected to the artist. Um, and then also, you know, in a certain sense, frees the artist from, if they can make six figures a year off of NFTs and selling music directly to fans that way, um, it at least changes their need or reliance upon the record company systems. Yeah. And I'm not an anti-record company guy. I came from the record label side. Right. Um, but I do think some aspects of those, that structure is a little bit antiquated yeah. for 90% of the artists on those labels that don't have a platinum record. Okay. Answer this question for me. Your life story in business is a book. What chapter are we on and what's it called? We're probably on chapter five out of 10. I still feel pretty young. And what's the book called? No, the chapter we're on. Oh, the chapter we're on? It's called Breakthrough. Ooh, break 
breakthrough. I like that. Yeah. It's what's how Rory began to help artists make a billion dollars. Nice. And what's the next chapter going to be called? Man, you, this, you this, this is a really fascinating chapters. question. <laughs> four more chapters oh, after gosh. this. So um, this could just be a short next title. Next chapter is called um, Steering the Rocket Ship. I like that so one. So much depth to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've done everything amazing. What's the biggest mistake you would say you've made through your career? And I made a bunch of mistakes. Depends how I define mistake. Like, is the biggest you. financially? You. What do you feel like your biggest mistake has been? Not trusting my gut and listening to people around me when I knew what the answer was, but I just chose not to listen to my own gut. Mm-hmm. How about biggest win? So far. So far, yeah. Or if there's multiple. I'm sure yeah, running a record label was ones. like, yeah, wow. First gold like, record's really cool. Yeah. I definitely feel like I accomplished something, especially when you own the album. It's not like it's something to be, you know, a marketing person at a record company, but being the owner of the IP of the recording that goes gold is is a cool feeling. And what record was that? Uh, it was Bangkok Cartel. Record was called Honestly. Uh, great song, great record. And that the was whole a whole mu- other what, meaning of gold record. Then. What's cool about that music video is uh, I, this is a funny tangent. Uh, that music video was the first depiction of the selfie concept in a music video. This huh. is in the MySpace era where we would take like a photo to be your profile pic on MySpace. And it was all these people taking selfies and what they would do to take their selfies like with their hair right. or their clothes. And I think it was even before the term selfie was like a meme Point, or yeah. a known word. And it's funny looking back and I was like, oh my gosh, we like documented that thing in like 2005 yeah. yeah you should have nft'd the selfie <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be here, here with us yeah. <laughs> i mean i've gone back to that whole catalog like all those songs are obviously available for one for one nfts on hit piece but i thought about even going further and like you know selling fractional ownership in those recordings um, but i would want to do it with the artist's yeah. approval and participation that would right. be the right way to do it you seem like a guy to me who would have known Tom from MySpace. Am I right or wrong? Um, we definitely were at the same parties. <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't. I don't know if I actually met him. Though I knew all the people at the record company. MySpace Records was a record label for yeah. a yeah. couple of years, and my friends signed to that company. My friends managed the bands on that label. My friends ran that label. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were definitely connected at yeah. some point. We probably have actually hung out. I told GJ that, and I was saying, I was friends with the Rufio guys. I actually was the Atari's merch guy. We're going way oh, deep cuts here. That's right. And I Eric, forgot you mentioned Eric, this. Eric mentioned, he's like, you got to talk to Rory. He put out the Rufio record. I was like, I knew those guys. Yeah, I put out like, two records, yeah. They came uh, on tour with Atari's like singers, 2002 or 2003. Singer's name is? Chris. Chris Ran into Chris in New York at during CMJ week, like in 2006 or seven. And we just had an awesome time just like chatting at a, we, we had never met before, but you know, you can just immediately talk about our, our lives were the same lives, right? Yeah. Like punk rock, being on tour. Um, you know, the Ataris were putting out records in the nineties when I was a high school kid. And to me, it's always fun to like think about band, like there are bands I listened to in high school that I actually got to put out their records when I was in my twenties. And I remember feeling like my life at that point had come full circle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those felt like huge wins. You were like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah, like <laughs> the Apple C cast. We put out Juliet Lewis's band and Juliet and the Licks. Yeah, Jill Kinnett from Luscious Jackson, taking it back to the '90s, New York. We did her record. Uh, we did a lot of cool records. Yeah, we're that was fun. You brought up high school. Did you know what you wanted to be doing with the rest of your life when you were in high school? What yeah, did the, you imagine you would be doing? The only thing I wanted to do was run a record label. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to play in bands. <laughs> I didn't want to tour. Yeah. I just wanted to be the record label guy. That was like my dream. And it was weird. It was like everything I wanted to do, my dreams in high school, I, I accomplished by the time I was 21. Yeah. So then like it was a little bit weird living the rest of your life. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe I should have had bigger dreams. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like I came from like independent music, punk rock. Like in high school, I never bought a record on a major label. I was like. They're still out, you know, I'm not going to buy that. Like, so were you freaking out when everyone was signing to majors? 
in a way, or were you like, uh, I get it now, and you struck? No, a deal yeah, with I, under, one, I so. totally understood it. Yeah, I understood why the artist did it, and, and you know, when Sony offered to invest in our business, we obviously took it seriously because we're like, oh well, we could do so much more with the capital. We could sign more artists. Right. We could hire a team. You know, running a small business like trying to run cash flow month to month, especially record businesses, like the most absurd business in the world because you're on 90 day terms with your distributor. You got to manufacture everything and marketing everything up front. So you're, you're outlaying all these costs six months out, the record comes out. So 90 days after the record comes out before you start getting money. And they also hold this, they hold two fees back. One is a distribution fee. The other is what what's called like a breakage fee or a return fee. Right. Actually two different fees. And so they would hold on to another 20% for returns in case the records came back from retailers. Because it wasn't a one-way sale. They could return them at any time. And so you outlays all this money. Six months later, you start getting 60% of the, the monthly income back. It's just from a cash flow perspective, it's an impossible business unless you have liquidity or capital or what they call advances from yeah. distributors to, to function. You know? yeah. So are you happy? After happy. everything that you've spent <laughs> yes. your life doing... <laughs> Would you would you say you are happy and satisfied? And honestly, no. It's, <laughs> sad. it's really sad because I'll wake up and I, you know, my wife is beautiful. My kids are beautiful. We have our health. We have a roof over our heads. You know, we 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 were around a lot of abject poverty in in Haiti, and and I I can recognize all this and just be so thankful for it, and be so thankful for the lifestyle we have. But, you know, I'm just addicted to, like, um, the trying to create something big and, and the anxiety that comes along with that and the paranoia that comes along with trying to do it the right way um, and do it before somebody else does it, right, and scale quickly. And that's something I struggle with. Yeah. Well, it's your love for the future. It's where it keeps you. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely something my wife and I talk about. It's like, how, do you, how can I just be more content? I'm more satisfied with the joy. Like, I'm joyful. I'm thankful. I have no lack of gratitude, but I definitely don't feel like I've accomplished what I was like put on earth to accomplish yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's fine. You've got hunger still in you. Yeah. You started young, so yeah. good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. This has been fun. I've learned a lot. You know, speaking about NFTs in mid century architecture. I still think there's a huge opportunity for a project that documents all the most famous mid-century architecture yeah. around the country, right? Well, and you've started with your own home, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yes, I actually, yeah, <laughs> I forgot about this. I minted an NFT as as just a test, really, right? of a design of my own house made by House Logo. Shout out. A great, really cool logo. And you can buy it on OpenSea. It's still for sale for 0.1 ETH, by the way. Um, <laughs> Ethereum and, for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, there's there's all these, so in the NFT world, there's there's thousands and thousands of projects now. 2% of them are cool. 98% of them are scammy or money grabs yeah. or just not cool. You know, what I love about the NFT world is being able to find really talented artists that are like making really cool work that you can support early on. And I think that's what most people love about NFT community. Because I was at Art Basel and, and I just would go to these events and meet these people like, oh, I'm an NFT artist. I'm like, cool. Like, what are you doing? He's like, show me his work. I'm like, that looks amazing. And he's like, yeah, like I, you know, I made six figures this year. I'm like, how amazing. We live in this world where like a guy could start making, a person could start making art and make a living at it immediately. Yeah. You know, and they just kind of live in this like digital nomadic world where they meet up with their friends at different events and they're part of these groups and they all support each other. And it's just really cool and really beautiful to see. I went on a tangent. I still think that a project, no one, I haven't seen this yet, but there could be a project that documents the most famous architecture in mid-century. Yeah. And you could create, I'm just making this up, hundreds or a thousand different NFTs, each one, you know, representing one of the more famous, like, right. designs out there. And that itself could be a really fun collection to to um, be a part of and own. And maybe by owning that, you get access to, like, see the house or... Right. or um, some other at, utility that could be connected to it. Spend the, spend the night at Falling Water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Like, 
there's as we all know we're all a part of this like this mid-century architecture enthusiast community like there should be nfts that represent that and that's what i try to connect to people like when i try to connect nfts to something you're already in right like oh this gates you experience to get yep. into like the the stall house or the um the case study homes and things like that the challenge then comes into like well who owns the rights to a either a photo or a or like a, a drawing of someone else's property right well, there's arguments that happen between the photographer and the architect yeah, already. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> who, who did what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not actually familiar with that area of copyright law, but it's just, it's a fascinating yeah. world now when it comes to NFTs, you know? Um, well, offline, Jed and I will make sure that we get that dialed in with you. Yeah. At a later time. Oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that'd be something. I Like, I would buy an NFT in that project yeah. just to, like, own it. I mean, that's... This joke in the NFT world is like, oh, instead of a resume, people are just going to show their, their right. Ethereum wallet and show what NFTs they own. And that's yeah. going to be like proof that you are aware or cultured or like understand yeah. like something moving in the in the world. You know, How much value do you think the tangible is as well? So like one physical good that matches the digital one or do most people not even care about the physical good? Like let's say a photograph, yeah, printed one photograph, and then you've got the digital. You know, I think it's I think it's up to like the collector, right? Owning the NFT verifies on the blockchain that you are the owner, um, and people are connecting to the digital to the analog worlds in different ways. So, for example, luxury brands are going to launch NFTs when you buy a Rolex watch. You'll have an NFT, but that NFT has no value. It just is the authenticity. Um, guarantor of the Rolex. So if you sell it online in five years, people are like, how do I know it's a real Rolex? Well, I've got the NFT that yep. that often authenticates yep. it, right? So when you sell it, you transfer the, the NFT so it actually right. authenticates the, the Rolex. Um, so in that experience, like the NFT itself actually has no value. It's just the authenticator of right. the, the analog item, which does have value. And I think you're going to see that with titles and property coming up. Blockchain can verify ownership of property, which is, a, we probably don't have that many issues in the developed world where we have systems, but there's still a huge amount of paperwork, as you guys know really well, when you <laughs> buy a property or transfer it. Just a few pages. A blockchain could really help make that yeah. a, a bit more streamlined. Not to go too crazy into this world, but there's also these issues of like law, a judge or law in the United States actually doesn't recognize a smart contract on a blockchain yet. So, if you were to sell a property with a smart contract that's that's basically tied into a blockchain transaction, the law in the United States doesn't recognize that as an actual contract. Right. So and since real estate is extremely slow, that'll be quite a while. Yeah, before it's that not enforceable happens. right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, you've brought up a lot of very intriguing topics and conversations. My next question is, if somebody who's listening to this wants to connect with you over coffee or ask you questions or learn more, um, is that something you'd be open to? Absolutely. Perfect. And then follow-up question, what's the best way for them to connect with you to do that? You can just email me, Rory, R-O-R-Y, at hitpiece.com, H-I-T-P-I-E-C-E.com. And hopefully I'll get back to you timely and we can schedule a time to go get coffee at Slow by Slow. Usually. Perfect. Shout out to Slow by Slow. Is it Slow by Slow or just Slow Brew? I, forget. I think a lot of people refer to it as Slow, but it's Slow by Slow. Yeah. yeah good coffee there. It's all about where I met you, TJ. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had fun today? Great time. Have you had fun today? I got a question for you guys. Oh my gosh. Yes. This there is go. amazing. First one. What do you folks hope for the future of Boise? What's your biggest hope for? Like, what do you want to see in Boise or what, what what Boise becomes? People talk about Boise as like Denver 30 years ago or yeah. like, what do you think of Boise in the future? Like, what, what are you hopeful for? We might need to put this on a bonus episode, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I got a quick answer. Go for it. Stay everything that Boise is, but see out its potential. That would be my simple answer, yeah. which is so open-ended. But what makes Boise unique? Not have not make Boise become a Denver. Mm. Let Boise become a bigger Boise. Yeah, that's here are the things that I love about Boise. There is a um, desire to improve life in every way here that I see from 
the majority of people that surround me. That's a unique aspect that not every market has. And that is very attractive to me. I think part of that aspiration of bettering your life is that work-life balance and being healthy and, um, you know, having good parameters in your life to enjoy all of the things that make it worth getting up tomorrow, Mm. including the recreation, including our relationships and our families. And it's not uncommon for people to show up at nine o'clock in the morning to start work and to leave their office by 3 p.m. to recreate. Oh, I know. That's Boise. And my, my hope is that all of those kind of local ways of embracing how we live and how we work maintain themselves mm. as we continue to get um, access to more creative people, more interesting projects, um, more development, more restaurants, more entertainment stuff, that it doesn't become just how can we cram more in a day, that we still are pacing it so that we're here in 50 years <laughs> and, and not having heart attacks and stressing, you know. And it's interesting because my son is 18. He is pursuing where he's going to go to college. And it's really funny because he has grown to love Boise. And he wants to come back here, but he wants an out-of-market experience. Yeah, I can see that. And what he's looking for out-of-market is Boise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah. where can I find this somewhere else? And I'm like, I don't. I, yeah. I hate to break it to him, but I'm like, you can't. I mean, it doesn't exist anywhere else. Yeah. So I don't know. I, with Jed, like, I want it to stay what makes it special while still welcoming all the things that will make it reach its potential and get even better. We take it for granted. Like we said, when we started out, I mean, I, I grew up here, raced out of Boise to go to Southern California where everything's better. Spent five years there, came back semi reluctantly for a pit stop 15 some years ago. And Mm -hmm. it's can't beat it. It's Boise. And you articulated that well. I just was like, that's what Boise is. <laughs> well, I, it was told to me. I've been here too long. <laughs> yeah, it was told to me. Um, I grew up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and it, probably back in 2005 or six, we had a buddy um, that we had known from Coeur d'Alene that spent a lot of time kind of being raised here and moving back here. And he would always refer to Boise as, this is the land of milk and honey. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I don't even know what that means, you know? <laughs> so then after like living here and experiencing, I'm like, he really knew what he was talking about. You know, it's a special place. It's, it's very neat. And as we continue to grow and add more people and more everything, I mean, that's going to be his challenge, right? I mean, keeping up with the infrastructure in a way that still allows us to be a super livable city. I mean, that's a challenge. So, But drawing people like yourself, yeah. it's complimentary to it. And totally. it's complimentary to the growth and having some of that outside thinking. I don't think a whole lot of people grew up here are thinking about the same stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's nice to have that influence. And then once they're educated on certain things, they're like, oh, this is great. I can do this. I can apply this to that. And yeah. yeah, I don't think you guys are even aware of how many people have moved here, like top people in their fields in the last six months, like the chief customer success officer for Box massive, massive cloud-based company relocated here six months ago. Yeah. Has a 400-person team, can run it remotely from Boise. Yeah. You're going to see more and more of that, you know, and I hope that the local leadership, the mayor and all the folks, I'm not, I don't know anything about politics, but I hope that they focus on trying to recruit more of these companies to open up customer service and other types of satellite offices here in Boise because I think that we need more high-paying jobs. Oh, for sure. To allow people to afford the real estate that people like me aren't impacting. Well, actually not us because we bought a fixer upper, but (laughs) other people. A little bit of a fixer upper. (laughs) And then I I hope that the foothills stay open. Yeah. I I think it'd be horrible if the foothills were totally covered in homes. I can't imagine that happening. It took a long time for some of the stuff that's happened on the east side. Yeah. But they said it's never going to get done. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch, but I think uh, I think we've got a good future ahead of us, all of us. So I love it. It's a fantastic place to live. I'm glad you are here. And Jed, thanks for you know being one of those that grew up here. 
Uh, I moved here in sixth grade. So, you know, okay. (laughs) More than any of us. (laughs) So cool. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for your time. I I think it's awesome that you're doing this podcast and just um, spreading the good news about Boise and um, highlighting, you know, interesting stuff happening in the city because there really is. There's a lot going on here. Totally. It's, It's a great city. I just went out with a friend of mine for a beer on Saturday night. And I just texted someone else, and they came, and they brought a couple other people, and we went from Press and Pony to Devil's Den. We ended up at Amsterdam Bar. I didn't know there was a club in Boise. Like, it's a club. I was like, whoa, we're in a club? And yeah. Like, it was packed, and you walk out at midnight because I got kids. And that's, that was the latest night I've had in a long time. And there's this massive line to get into Humping Hannah's and, like, <laughs> all the college kids, you know? Yeah. And it's just it was just really cool to see, like, this – really lively downtown but you know coming from southern california very clean downtown and very yeah, still safe right. downtown totally and i just thought man this is a really cool spot to probably go to college and yeah have a river going through your campus totally all that good stuff Anyways, well i'm actually excited about maybe a connection or two that you might be able to hook me up with for a future podcast person or two that might, oh yeah might be i of, would love that would love yeah. that i i have the people that you need to connect with. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and really, I mean, one of the major goals is to try to, just like we did with the mid-century architecture when we started the business was to help people understand what's here. I mean, that's kind of the goal of the podcast, right? Like help others realize that there's some really neat people who are in charge of things and making things happen that live right here in Boise. And whether you're headquartered in another market or whether that's right in your backyard here in Boise, um, you, you live here and you're conducting business you know, we want to be talking to you and helping, you know, make some connections and learning more about the interesting things that are happening here. So I think that was accomplished today, if I'm not mistaken. For sure. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. And Thank until you next time. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for joining us today and listening in. We're really glad that you did. We're always open to having more guests on the podcast. And so long as they live here in Boise and are actively involved in building business here, No matter where that business might be located, we're actually very interested in learning more from them and potentially sharing their story through this podcast. Feel free to send us a recommendation for a future guest or simply connect with us on Instagram at Boise Business Builders. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we would greatly appreciate a review. Thanks again.